But the truth is the, the formula that I believe in my heart to be true for everybody is that consistency over time equals success. There's no such thing as overnight viral successes. There's people who have been grinding out. There's bands who have been playing in dingy bars for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden you just heard their, they heard their single. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Hello, and welcome to the What is UX podcast. And on this episode, we're doing something different. Normally, we cover a lot of in-house designers from big companies. And today, I'm trying to do a little different. I'm welcoming Jesse Showalter. He's a full-stack designer and content creator with clients, including uh, well-known companies, including Dribbble, Adobe, Sketch, and Vision. It's like the who's who of the design software world, as well as he's got an amazing, successful YouTube channel with around 200,000 subscribers and over 9 million views in total. So welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's so exciting because you you know on on one hand it's great to talk to folks you know at the Googles and the Netflix of the world, but I also want to showcase that let's you know working at Bigco is not the only path for a designer. So how long have you been doing what you're doing as a an indie a freelancer and then also creating content? Sure. Yeah, I suppose I've been doing what I'm currently doing probably for like the last six years or so, but my career started probably about 13 or 14 years ago with basically a bootleg copy of Photoshop and making really bad like punk rock posters at the time. So I I hadn't gone to school. I had no degree in design and really no experience, but you know, my, my girlfriend then wife now 12 years encouraged me to kind of take the leap into the creative industry. So I just started making stuff and way too much drop shadow. It was all just really atrocious and awful looking. And uh, yeah, yeah, just everything was like everything from the effects panel in Photoshop. I was like, yeah, that's great. Just more of that. And then I parlayed that into an internship at my church. And from that in-house gig working at one of the largest tour companies on Oahu. And then from that to a design agency and then, you know, freelancing. And, you know, so I've kind of been all over the, all over the map, but I would say for the last six years to answer your question, I've been much more focused on freelance UI, UX design, digital product design, and uh, and really just kind of doing that, making my own way. I worked for a startup for a couple of years. I felt like really helped me to give me the chops to understand what startups and entrepreneurs and growing companies need. And uh, especially this last three years has been that that past history was very helpful in this last three years of really establishing myself as a freelance, a freelance, a freelance UI. Did you just make up? (laughs) I just made up. I'm going to call myself a freelancer from now on. Freelancer. Yeah. 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 So yeah, just, just freelance in this industry. It really helped me to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. I, I, so tell me the word full stack designer, double click into that. What, What do you mean by full stack designer? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I kind of robbed the idea from a full stack engineer, full stack developer, the idea that you would have not just a single language you speak or a single skill that you have, but a stack of skills that make you uh, pretty valuable in the marketplace, right? So um, a full stack engineer would be somebody who does back end, front end, understands HTML, CSS, JavaScript, but is also able to code in whatever their specific languages are on the back end frameworks. You have this great stack of skills that all stack on top of each other. So for me as a designer, I started in traditional print design, realized I hated that, moved into web design, loved that, found front-end development because I wanted to make my own websites instead of using, you know, WYSIWYG kind of tools. So I learned front-end development and then really started honing that into web application software, mobile apps. So UI, UX design, digital product design. So my stack is in the realm of, I don't love logo design, but I could probably help consult you and get you where you need to go. And I'm not the most phenomenal front-end developer, but I can handle my own site for sure. And then I do everything else in between all of those skills. So that's kind of my stack of skills, my speciality. So I call myself a full stack designer. Yeah. So sort of a jack of all trades. Yeah. Yeah. So to speak, I, I really try to stay within kind of this, like I call it a four lane highway, right? I don't want to take any exits. If somebody's like, Hey, we need you to do like magazine layout. I'm going to go, no, I'm not taking that exit. That's not for me. And if somebody's like, Hey, we'd love for you to do this, you know, back in development stuff. I'm going to go, no, that exit's not for me. This wide (laughs) four lanes right here is where I operate in. And I like to do it all. And I like to do it soup to nuts, kind of like all inclusive when I work with clients. 
And, and it's good because I, I think, you know, I, I made up a word too back in the day. I called myself a diviner, developer designer. Yep, for that one. <laughs> but, you know, I think being a designer who knows, like, if you're burdened with having to code it, right, you're, you're going to design it a certain way in a very efficient way, as opposed to like maybe a, a, a designer who only know, works with the pixels. And right, right. It's helpful to know the medium for which you design for, right? So, right. you know, if you speak the languages of front-end web development, you are not going to be the young, immature moron designer that makes everything <laughs> animate and fly and whiz and, and bang all over the place because you realize that that's not the most important thing. You know what's possible. You know what you're capable of doing, but you also understand the benefit of restraint and making really usable products. It's not about flash. It's about substance. And and I think that that's what, you know, if I had to put everything away tomorrow, I'm very helpful or I feel very, very grateful that I can be helpful on both sides. So one of my favorite things that I've started to specialize in a little bit lately is even if I'm working just on the design aspect of something for a client, a brand or a product is to kind of work as in the role of handoff, kind of like technician between kind of that that back and forth between the engineering teams and design teams, right? So I love helping to establish processes for teams to make sure that that handoff process is smooth because it's like it's like being a cook in the kitchen and a waiter in the front of the house. It's like instead of fighting with each other, like I like to be the person who's making everything flow and make everyone understand, like see each side or each aspect of the house. So I like that part as well. I want to call out you. You had a video is a little bit dated now, but on tips on how to hand off your design to developers, which you made. I'm sure you know all about it. And actually, to to that point, you know, as an agency where we know that our work is going to be handed off, right? We're, we're either handing off raw design files or, or presenting them or or whatnot. That it's it's really the presentation of that work is just as important, and, and being able to hand off a clean design file. I remember one of our reviews that we got on our review site was that this startup client had a great experience. Their developer had a like sure there are many great companies that can produce great designs, but you know our company Impeccable had, had the best basically developer experience where they were handed off design files. It was like super neatly organized. It was well documented, right. explained well, and so that's. That is a craft in itself that often gets overlooked, right? Like yeah. table stakes, yes, pretty pixels, good UX, but you know the the UX. I, I call it the UX of the developer should always also be considered. Yeah, yeah, we tend to forget that there are a million, <laughs> a billion gorgeous dribble shots, right? Like sitting out there of amazing design, like you know, the, the internet is loaded with talented visual designers, but one of the secret kind of like dirty little secrets is all of that is for naught If you don't know how to communicate well, if you don't care about the processes that make an experience really, really enjoyable for a client, you know, you can give them a B minus kind of like design, but if your experience working with that client was an A plus, they will come back to you year and year again, like in and out every single year for work from you because they love the experience. And so people are buying the experience. People are buying into the experience just as much as they're buying into the results. The result. I think a lot of times people forget that we're a client-facing industry. And it's not just about what you can make and how pretty you can make it, but how can you deliver it, right? I, I think Jeff Bezos is famous for this. Like You could buy a book over there, but you're going to come to amazon.com back in the day when all they sold was books because distribution. And that's why Jeff Bezos is the billionaire he is today because he figured out distribution. He didn't figure out design. He didn't figure out shopping. He didn't reinvent that wheel, but he streamlined distribution, right? Which is basically the presentation or the experience that the customer has. And that's what we need to be doing as well. Yeah. Maybe for me to use the restaurant analogy, right? Uh, good design is like, yeah, of course. Like if everybody makes good, good food, what what can you? What's what's sticky and what's gonna make you stand out? It's it's the presentation, right? And not just yeah. the presentation, not the work itself, but the presentation that you with whoever that you're presenting to. It's presentation. It's process. I've been I have been to hundred dollar plate restaurants that I've you know I've visited there once before. Absolutely loved it. The food is insane. Like make you just like just the thought of it right now of that type of food is making my mouth water. But I've been to a restaurant like that before where I. I'm realizing 
I've been here for two and a half hours and my food's not here yet. And so that experience, the breakdown in processes ruin the output, that beautiful meal that could have or should have come to me. I'm never coming back here again because the experience sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, pro tip for young designers. Uh, one time I, I, I often help startups and, and this one startup asked me to kind of like, Hey, we're, we're recruiting a designer. We're trying to hire. Could you help us? So I was like, okay, sure. I'll, I'll help you, you know, kind of judge and vet designers. And so, so I was given this one design file output that was present given to, to us by a prospect candidate. And I shit you not the, the layers were flat. And there was no renaming yeah. of anything. So it was like layer one, group one, untitled, blah, blah, blah. And like, this is horrible. I can't work with this. I'm not going to yeah. hunt and peck where stuff is. So yes, uh, organizing your stuff, which is actually a tip in, in your YouTube video, is, is really important in how you present that work and, and organize that. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm trying to think back to that video, but but I can tell you just like a general kind of outlook I have in life. I think I mentioned that video is there's just a, a general principle, no matter what you're doing. Actually, it comes from the New Testament, the Bible, and just says, consider other people as more important than yourself. There's this idea that your time is valuable and I need to consider your time more valuable than my time. So if I can put a little bit extra of my time in because I care about your time, how much do you stink and love me? Right. Like, right. How much do you love working with me? How great is that experience as an engineering team for the design team to take that extra five to 10 hours to document, to organize, to present well, to hand off, to explain, right? To, to make sure that your prototypes actually make sense, that they're not just these flat files, but that it's seamless. Like you can document animation, you can document everything. And by taking that extra amount of time, and a lot of times it's, it's, establishing workflows and processes that make things so much more digestible, taking the time to think through processes, make every engineering team that I work with like that, love me. They're like, Oh my God, we would love to work with Jesse. Like he's, we I'm, I'm their favorite person. Cause I'm like, cause your time's valuable. Your time's important. Now the dirty little secret of that is I'm going to, I'm going to build into my proposals that time, right? To, to communicate, to document, to do all of those things. I'm not, I'm not taking extra time. I'm billing for that time and then making the engineer te- engineering teams love me at the same time. Right. I mean, it's, it's the same principle as a high-end restaurant. They, they build into that cost, all that um, You're paying time. for ambiance when you go into a great restaurant, right? right. You're not paying <laughs> for ambiance when you go get a 99-cent cheeseburger. Right. right? right. There, there's no way that that steak actually costs that much when they buy the meat, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful steak, I'm sure. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece of meat or whatever it is that you're eating. But the ambiance that they've established, you're paying for that too. Right, right. So, so when you... Get a huge bill from Jesse. It's it's the ambiance. It's the whole experience of Jesse. <laughs> it's the experience. My my, right, right. my hope is you know. And here's the thing. I was just dealing with. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I I you know I floated them a proposal, and they said this is really like way more than we anticipated. You know, because we've been searching on Fiverr and we found. <laughs> yeah. And I went, that is fantastic. If your mark of success for this project is how little you can spend on it, then that's the place for you to go. But if your mark for success is how well can this project be conducted and how much money can this project make us, then I'm the person. So it's just really, it's, I don't blame people for it. It's a value system and a perspective right. shift. If your value system is, I want to spend as little as possible, there's a part of me that goes, I probably don't want to work with you as a client because your value system is different from my value system and you're not going to appreciate or enjoy my value system. Yeah. Well, and you you clicked on an interesting topic too, right? Not every client is going to be perfect for you. So if you're yes. a young designer looking for your gig, that it's it's very it's very easy to try to take everyone. But you know, in my early days, I tried to be say yes to everyone and make it work, you know, air quotes, right. but they're, they're not always going to be great clients. So I think right. my, my advice to younger self would be, you know, be it's, it's your restaurant, you know, you don't have to take on every, everyone if that's right. that. Yeah. Like, I mean, know. we refuse the right to, re- we reserve the right to refuse, <laughs> refuse service, service, right? Okay. Absolutely. So, <laughs> at, exactly. at certain times, I think when you're really young, when you're just starting out, you take everything, right. You just bite the bullet. You, you, you take, because the thing is you don't, 
you don't know what a good client is yet because you yourself you haven't seen it. <laughs> are, yeah, it's it's you haven't seen it. You know why you haven't seen it? Because you don't know how to communicate, organize, sell. You don't know how to document things. You don't know the processes yet. So you have to take on. There are no bad clients, that, in my opinion. Right. And if I, if I'm going to be really honest, there might be a couple clients from hell out there floating around in space somewhere, but they're the mythical boogeyman client. Majority <laughs> of time, there is no bad client. There's a bad, there's a bad vendor. There's a bad service provider that doesn't know how to give proper expectations and communicate and educate a client. And right. you need to take lots of clients that at first you go, oh, I'm taking all these horrible clients until you realize, no, I'm a horrible service provider and I need to get better providing service. Then all of a sudden you start, if, if you don't notice this, like, like really take stock of it actively, all of a sudden, you know, you're learning, you're growing, you're grinding, you've taken on quote unquote, all the bad clients. One day, all of a sudden it, it seasonally starts to shift in your life where you're like, all my clients are getting so much better. I've just hit the season where all the good clients are coming. No dummy. You learned and you're not the same dummy that you used to be. Right. Yeah, so you got look better. back, take stock, confess to your sins and go, I was a really bad service provider. <laughs> and now I'm better. I've learned the systems and processes that make me successful. Right. right so right. at first you got to eat it a bunch. You got to eat a bunch of dirt because you don't know any better, but eventually you learn from those things. You become a better service provider. Okay. And for folks who are thinking of starting or, you know, still in the freelancing and, and starting out kind of in this design journey, not working in-house where they have to sell and they have to get clients, give us some tips on. Uh, sure. on yeah. That. And, you know, working freelance, like being a service provider, like the first thing, everybody is out there like thinking they need to create a, their next best portfolio piece. And sure. You got to be creating good work. You got to be doing the kind of work and putting in your portfolio that you want, the type of clients you want to attract. Sure, all that stuff. That's real tactical. But from a high level perspective, if you are nervous about dealing with, talking about, or managing money, that is, in my experience, why the majority of freelancers, people go freelance. They last about a year and a half and they bail and they go find work somewhere else because they are uncomfortable dealing with money, talking about money, and managing money. They don't know how to, they don't know what cash flow is for their, because when you start a freelance business, you're starting a business. It's just not a brick and mortar business, but you're starting a business. And if you don't understand what payroll is or how you pay self-employment taxes, is it time to be an LLC, an S corp? How much, what do I do with money? What's cash flow? How do I deal with a proposal on a contract? How soon is too soon to talk about money? If you don't learn those skills and try to figure the business skills out quickly, you are going to sink as a business and you'll go right back to working for somebody else's business. And those are the people that you hear that are real sour. They go, freelancing didn't work for me. Freelancing is too hard. Freelancing is blah, 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 blah. They go, no, I'm going to be really honest. You're a bad business person. You didn't take the time to learn the business. You learned tons about design. You took all the courses about you know web design and blah, 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 but you learned nothing about processes and money and you sunk. Yeah. Right. So that's the first thing I would say is like learn about money, understand money. A, a kind of tangentially connected to that is understand that if the first the first recommendation I would make is learn about money, talk about money, understand money. The next thing is that's what your client cares about. Your client could give a crap whether the button is blue or pink. Your client needs to make money because they're a business. So your business needs to stay afloat and your business stays afloat by helping other businesses stay afloat or make the tide rise even more for them. And so I learned this from my friend, Jonathan Courtney, who runs AJ and Smart, fantastic agency as well. He's written a lot of books, kind of mastered the design sprint mentality. And he's like all about workshopping and helping companies. But I talking to him, I learned that designers need to learn the language of business when talking to clients, right? So we don't say, what does this look good to you? What do you think about this? We say, is this going to increase, increase your traffic, your leads? What's your revenue? What's your expected revenue for the next year? How can I help you make a plan that builds your revenue? Like We are business consultants first and foremost that help people through the vehicle of creativity, right? A web, if you don't have a website, a new website will help you. If you have a crappy <laughs> website, a better website will help you. But again, it doesn't matter if the buttons are blue or pink. It just doesn't matter. I could build you an ugly website right that maybe that should be like a challenge. I could build you an ugly website right now if you have no website and that ugly website, if the content is good and there's clear call to action, will make you more money than not. 
That's problem solving, right? But that's speaking the language of business. And so I would say, you know, for young creatives who want to go freelance, you got to learn money yourself. You got to understand that that's what your client actually cares for. And if you learn those two things, you learn how to talk, you learn how to think, you learn how to kind of manage your time. You look at everything through that lens, right? Like how do you spend your time? How do you schedule your time? How do you talk with clients? How do you satisfy clients? All that comes from the realm, unfortunately, of thinking about money like an adult. Right. And, and 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 being comfortable talking about that, especially with clients, I think even I as a young entrepreneur, I think, you know, you you avoid that conversation about money until like much later. Because right? you're terrified. Maybe you're terrified, right? Yeah. You're you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then then you find out five meetings in that, you know, they have the budget of upwork when when you're providing services for sure. dribble, Adobe, and Sketch, right? And yeah. it's just like my, a total disconnect. My process is now for Finding clients, vetting clients, onboarding clients is intensely different than it was, you know, eight years ago. Eight years ago, I was the guy who waited five meetings in to ask about money and then go, oh, okay, your budget, I guess I'll do it anyways. Because now I've spent all this time, right? Right. Sunk Uh, cost fallacy. (laughs) Yes, it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like I've spent all this time, all this energy, all and and now I I said no to a bunch of other projects because I thought this one was going to be good, but you're only paying me $1,000 for $10,000 of work. I better do it because I'm scared to walk away. There's also this fear that young young freelancers need to learn how to conquer their fear, this fear of of famine, right? And because they're the thing that that will help you conquer your fear of famine is the resourcefulness, is understanding like if this doesn't work out, I can always go find a job somewhere. <laughs> if if and you know, and even people who are like, I'm trying to get into the design agents or into the design world, into the design industry. Like, what do I do? I go, go for it. What's the worst thing that could happen? You have to go back to your retail job somewhere. What's the worst that can happen? You either win in life or you learn. So what's the worst that could happen? Go freelance, right? Create yourself a little bit of a runway before you leave your job, moonlight for a little bit, get some clients and some experience, and then head off into the the pioneer lands to try to make your way. What's the worst that can happen? You go back and find another job that gives you 401k matching and insurance. Okay, go do it. But it's like, it's not going to be the end of the world, right? So there does have to be a little bit of a pioneer spirit there that says, I'm willing to go try to carve my own path. The city's always back there. I always know how to go back there and find it, right? But for now, I'm going to try to carve my own path. Yeah. And speaking of carving your own path, is that a little bit of the mentality that got you to start your YouTube channel? How long ago did you start that? And what was your mindset back then? Yeah, so I'm probably... My my testimony, my story of starting my YouTube channel was more of a stumble than a plan, to be honest. Like I just, it was five years ago and I, I started working at a startup when I was still living in Hawaii. And I decided, you know, I want to, I think it's my time to like give back somehow to the design community, to the creative community. And I had acts, like I say, accidentally, I had like haphazardly like posted a, a tutorial on how to code a website a certain way. And I looked back and I saw it got like 15,000 views or something. And I was like, oh, oh, YouTube's the thing. And I hate writing, so I'm not going to blog. And uh, like, I could talk, right? I like talking and I like sharing information. So when I was learning and getting into the creative industry, I read design blogs and I, I would scroll all the way down to the end to see the finished product, try to make it fail, go all the back, way back to the top and follow step-by-step how to do stuff in Photoshop and Illustrator. That's how I learned. And I was like, this could be my version of that. So I just started making videos and people will all the time. I talked to like people who are much smarter than me about YouTube. Like, what was your strategy? And you had this personal brand you formed. I'm like, no, dude, I just started <laughs> making stuff. Right. Because it was, it was a, I stumbled into what I thought was just doing something fun, something I would enjoy and giving back at giving back at the same time. And, um, you know, it wasn't until about a year into it that it started, you know, it was not bearing any fruit at all. But I, I started kind of wising up to, oh, this could actually be a thing. I see other people talking about this. This could be a thing. And so my wife and I had a conversation. We're like, let's do it. Like she said, I'll clear time on, you know, I'll take the kids at this time of day or whatever that you need to film, record, and edit. I said, okay. And we said, we'll see what happens in a year from now. So it wasn't until two years into it that I went, Okay, now we're doing something. Now we're creating something. And that 
then required resourcefulness. That required determination and a little bit of that pioneer spirit because in the midst of all that, I had to learn how to edit video. Never done that before. I had to get really comfortable like talking on camera. I mean, I can talk. You want to have a beer and like hang out in my backyard? Like I'll chat with you all day, but looking at the camera and not sounding weird and feeling awkward, I had to learn that. You go back and watch the first like five or 10 YouTube videos on my channel, horrendous. I feel like <laughs> I need to do reaction videos of them and just cringe because they're so bad. I didn't know what I was doing and they just drug on for a real long time. So anyways, it's just... I just needed to learn so much. I had to overcome so much and I had to stay the course for it to be anywhere close to being considered enjoyable or successful like like it is now. So I'm coming on 200,000 subscribers and I've learned a lot through losses and failure and learning and having to learn things. So yeah. Well you touched on something that you know people are thinking about doing something, right? You you mentioned you enjoyed talking and that, right. Compared to blogging, right. Like there, there were many things you could, did, could have done. Blogging could have been one of them, but, but you chose a medium that, that you, you could feel you could do in the same way. I, you know, this, this podcast is, is also a result of that, where I felt super awkward. I tried talking to the camera several times and every time I cringe and like delete, okay, let's re-record, let's re-record, re-record. And it's like right. so much work. Whereas, you know, the medium of podcasting actually let the guests do most of the talking. So I just show up and, and kind of guide a little bit, but sure. steer the conversation. And that, that, that to me works for me. So I think, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do, lean into what kind of somewhat comes naturally to you. But at the same time, I mean, you, you said you, you grinded it out for a year and you didn't, you know, it wasn't like year two until you said, Hey, let's, this is a thing. And yeah, and I think patience is another thing, right? Like you can't just, if you give up, if you gave up six months in three months in, you would have been, that would have been the end. Yeah. Yeah. I think James Clear talks about it in his book, Atomic Habits, which I think everybody should read. I forget exactly what he calls it, but it's basically the, the, you know, the, the, the point for where, which most people give up, right? People, they start going to the gym and after four weeks or five weeks, they don't see any results. So they give up. But if they would have hung in there right at week seven or eight, you'd start seeing results. So there's this point where you have to walk through the Valley. You have to walk through the dry kind of Valley where you're not seeing anything, but there's water somewhere on the other side. Some of us have to walk longer than others, but the truth is the, the formula that I believe in my heart to be true for everybody is that consistency over time equals success. There's no such thing as overnight viral successes. There's people who have been grinding out. There's bands who have been playing in dingy bars for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden you just heard their, they heard their single, right? So there's no overnight success. There's people who've been grinding out. If there is overnight success, it is one in a billion in my in my mind, right? Even when people go, this person just blew up overnight. Like there, I forget what his name is. There's a guy on TikTok and Instagram right now that just does nothing but do this weird little dance over a song. And he's got like millions and millions and millions of views. And it seems like he just he just blew up overnight. That's what even if you watch anybody talk about him, what is he like to hold a ostrich or something like that? And it just he just wiggles his butt and dances and he gets billions of views. And you go, that guy just popped up out of night overnight. But it's really interesting. I did a little investigating. You go back on his Instagram, you scroll back, and right, there's one video that made him famous. And the 10 or 15 before that are him trying little variations of it, of him flying a drone around, of him doing a dance, different things. And they didn't quite make it, didn't quite make it. And then somehow he just hit it, right? He found the right formula that worked, but he had to stay consistent in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's business or fitness or you know, learning a skill, it's consistency over time equals success. Yeah. It's, it's not I mean, it's not magic, it's not rocket scientists or science. Yeah, it's you know, it, my own agency is a now a 10-year-old agency. So we we've just been grinding for a while. Both you and I do do a little bit of martial arts. So I think that you know the the idea of grinding comes comes oh. naturally to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, but what belt are you now? Talk about grinding it out. I'm a 37 year old white belt. So, in you know, I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and it is a long journey, my friend. And it just takes hours and hours of getting choked out and getting tapped out and getting armbarred. And every single time, you learn a little something. So, yeah. 
it's just it people again back to the the advice giving the advice to the 20 year old me or whoever's out there it's like don't be a it's just everyone's so afraid of a failure everyone's so afraid of rejection and everyone is so warped all our minds are so warped because we see porcelain veneer instagram representations of success and it just seems like oh there's success there's happiness there's joy and it's just not reality like it takes hard work anything worth worth it is like it's worth working for. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a hard lesson to learn. And the ones that learn it are the ones that you, that are successful. Yeah. I I used to do martial arts and there was a saying where you you have to eat, taste the bitter before you taste the sweet. And that's, that's the grind. And, uh, you know, as a 40 year old, just starting a, a new sport of Olympic weightlifting, it's like, pretty you know it's a new sport to me just so just like you're a white belt I'm, I'm very much a beginner in this sport and it's just you know when you look on instagram and youtube and and, and olympics right uh that yeah. it's like oh my god we're we're just so different right like i mean, but and and starting this as a 40 year old something can be very daunting but you know just even looking back at my own progress i was looking at an old video which i taped you know some of the progress was like oh wow i added 40 pounds from last year sure. a little yeah. so you are making progress yeah. slowly and and steadily i think it's important to take stock of progress in anything that you're doing but then also at the same time, have something in your life that is currently challenging you. I think it's very, for me, it's really easy to grow, just continuing to do what I'm good at and then leaning and depending only on the things that I'm good at. You know, it's time for me to learn something that I'm not good at, to go do something that I'm not great at, because we only grow through perseverance, right? And if, if life becomes too easy in every aspect, right? Like I'm good at freelancing, right? That's just because I'm good at talking to clients. Like, and if all I do is nothing but that, I'm never challenged, then I, I'm not going to grow like the way that I want to grow. So step out of your comfort zone. Yeah. There's gotta be something hard in your life at all times. And you can either choose what that hard thing is going to be, or the hard thing is going to choose you. So I would rather choose what that hard thing is going to be, whether it's starting jujitsu late in life or launching a new product or business or aspect that I'm not really comfortable with and stepping out of my comfort zone, I'd rather be the one that chooses it. Yeah. This is a great segue into, you know, as a, as a content creator, as an indie, you know, having your own agency freelance business, I noticed you have so many income streams, which I'm sure forces you to grow and get challenged. But, yeah. you know, can you give us, you know, and this is to, as the opposite of, you know, being an in-house designer where that's your paycheck and, you know, your taxes gets taken out of that and you don't have to worry too much. You got, you know, healthcare insurance all taken care of for you as someone who kind of has to, you know, bring, 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 hunt, hunt your own food <laughs> and, and prepare it kind of figuratively speaking. What are all the ways that, that you earn income? Yeah, I have, man, I was, I was in my mastermind call a couple of weeks ago and, and they had me count my income streams and it was, it was ridiculous. I think I have something right now, like 14 different income streams. I'll try to remember as That's many as I can. That's very impressive. Yeah, I'll try to remember. Some of them are like minuscule and some of them are great, right? So actually, I think on my YouTube channel, I need to do like end of year, like financial report that kind of shows what all those income streams are. So I've been kind of like inspired to do that, but I'll try to remember them right now off the top of my head. I mean, my main income stream is freelancing. That's probably at this point, it's like, I'd say, oh, maybe actually it's less than, than maybe I thought off the top of my head. I'd say it's probably about 60% of my income. Uh, is freelancing. I would say, so I'll just, let me just count them all out first and then I'll try to go back and percentage them. So I freelancing design work, that's one of them. I do like YouTube. So I get AdSense revenue. That's another one. On my YouTube channel, I have sponsored videos, which I count as a separate uh, sure. revenue. So that's one. I have a members, like a membership club. That's another source of revenue. I sell digital products. That's another source of revenue. I do like affiliate links sometimes for certain things. So that's another stream of revenue. I throw workshops and li- like live trainings. I'm doing one next week on Friday, like a three-hour workshop. That's another uh, stream of revenue. I do courses. So that's like another stream of revenue. I do, golly, I don't know. Those are the ones I can like think of like right now top of my head. So with that being said, freelancing still is probably about 60% of my revenue. I would say 
content and sponsorships and everything like that probably play into another 30% of my revenue. And then I have like another 20% that's all diversified in the other things like membership communities and you know, courses and different things. I think that'll start shifting more and more as the content side of things continues to raise. I think if you'd asked me this question a year ago, I would probably, the numbers would have been very different. They would have been probably more like 75% of my revenue came from freelancing and, and I had the remaining 25 was diversified between content and all the other things. Content is starting to rise in prominence in my income streams. Right. And what's the ideal state and where do you want to get to? The ideal state actually would be probably that freelancing is only about 20% of my revenue and that the large majority of it comes from content. And then that I would increase and grow those other revenue streams as well. But I'm looking at at downgrading the amount of time I spend because the truth of the matter is, you know, I've been in the industry for like 13, 14 years. Um, client work is great. I love it. I love solving problems. You actively solve problems. It's great. It gets my brain thinking, my juices flowing. Love that so much. I'll, I don't think I'll, I'm going to say this and I might like, I might be wrong in like five or 10 years or something, but I don't think I'll ever truly leave doing client work because I love it so much. I love solving people's problems hands-on, but it's not as sustainable or scalable because you can only bill for your time so much. Um, right. It, and you, you only have ra- so many hours in your life. You only have so many hours in the day, only so many days in the week, weeks in the months, months in the year, and years in my life. So I can continue to be a slave to the most important resource that we all have. Everybody, the most important resource in the world is time. It's the biggest currency and resource we we deal with. So I can only deal with that that resource so much before I max out. Now you can raise your rates right to compensate that so maybe you have to work less that's not a bad idea but i've also done that i can i plan on continuing to do that but at the end of the day i like making money when i sleep i'm a big fan of that so that's what makes me really excited that i could go to bed and wake up and look at my phone and go bing 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 look i made a bunch of money while i was resting my body and then i can take my kids and my wife and my kids on a vacation and while i'm there I'm getting notifications that I'm making money because the truth is, again, like you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So I want to spend the time that I have in this world, the most effective, productive, enjoyable way that I can. So that's what's really important to me right now. Yeah. There's a funny meme of a guy making money in his sleep where basically he had a setup where people could disturb him by paying to like generate sounds (laughs) to the disturbance of sleep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like when it comes to like these other streams of revenue, so many of them are much more scalable because they're Mm -hmm. productized, right? I can make a course one time and I can sell that course. And that course is still falling under my own personal ethos of helping people and bringing value to people, but it does it while I'm sleeping, I'm still bringing value to people. So again, like income is a representation of value. And if I'm making income in my sleep, it means I'm bringing value to people in my sleep. I also highly appreciate and respect that. So I want that. Like if I sell, I sell some notion templates that will help like organize people's lives or contracts and templates to help freelancers out. And those sell while I'm asleep. That means I'm offering value while I'm asleep or while I'm away. So I like that. That's much more scalable. It's good for everybody in my opinion. Right. And, and usually you can bring that at a much lower cost than your time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's always, you know, anything that's valuable, right, that you put into the world always comes uh, with a cost. And a lot of times things that are quote unquote passive, they come with an upfront cost, right? So building a course, like I'm going to sit down and, you know, I'm currently building a couple of courses and, and I'm launching one at the start of next year. And it's something like 35 hours of content. And when you see 35 hours of content, there's probably eight times as much work, thought, planning, production, preparation that goes into that. So there's a large investment up front, but the hope is that that investment is scalable and that you're going to get much more from it than you know from spending your time just doling out your time. Right. Absolutely. Um, this, I, you know, this is all like a maturation of who I am and what my process is. Like clients sometimes reach out to me and say, Hey, what's your hourly rate? And I say, I don't have an hourly rate. So I used to have an hourly rate. I don't have an hourly rate anymore. I technically do, but it very rarely comes up. 
right? It comes up after I've bid a project, worked on a project, and the client says, I need this one or two more little things. I go, that'll take about three or four hours of my time. I'll just bill you my hourly. That's the rare case where it comes up. But usually when people say, what's your hourly rate? I say, I don't have an hourly rate. I have a day rate because I value my time. And I don't feel like doling out and separating pieces of the pie anymore. It's not worth it to me. It's less. It's just, it's just not as worth it to me as it used to be. So I have a day rate. And who knows, in five years, maybe I won't have a day rate. Maybe that won't even be an option for me. Right. And, and that's uh, more of a maturation versus like, you know, if you're just starting out, you probably might not be have able an to hourly get away rate with it. If you're, right. <laughs> if you're starting out, grind, like, I don't have a rate take it, have an hourly rate, learn <laughs> what it is, like learn how to blend the rate, learn how to do business. You got to do all of that. You can't just, this is like, I love, I'm a huge fan and supporter of like uh, the guys over at the future, like Chris Doe, all they're so just, they've helped me. Like as a business person, so much think about business and value so much. I can't thank them enough. Uh, I've, I've bought courses. I've, I've bought Chris Doe's book. Like I'm a huge supporter in all things, right? The, the hard thing is a lot of new, new creatives. They look at that and they go, oh, I'm only supposed to do a logo if I charge $15,000 for strategy. And I go, no, no. They do that. <laughs> and you, we hope that you'll get to that. But right now, you just got out of a, UI, a UX boot camp. Okay. You're not allowed to come in and go, I don't, I can't work for you unless I do $25,000 worth of strategy work first. You're not there. Okay. Chris Doe has worked with massive multi million dollar brands. He has a legacy that he's building right now. You don't, right. you're new. So build your new legacy, but everyone has to start. Right, he's in his fifties. He's got thirty years worth of experience. To, exactly. It's it's that. What is that parable of you know the the mechanic who who spent a minute you know he, yeah. he did one fix and it's like well, oh I just why why well, do I'm you not paying you this so much, much for a minute and he says you're not paying me for a minute you're paying me for all the years I've spent to learn how to do it do in it a minute, in a minute right exactly but some people are not there yet so lay the bottom brick and build build your legacy build your business and then. Later on in life, you'll be putting top bricks up and you'll be loving it. But right now, everybody, um, my fear is that people listen to a podcast like this or watch a video of theirs or mine and they go, oh, I'm supposed to be exactly where he's at. I call it new married syndrome. You ever heard of that? So like when you when we were like a brand new married couple, my wife and I, we've been married for 12 years now. But like, you know, you move into this crappy little apartment and you're driving this crappy little jalopy outside. And a lot of young husbands and wives are like, we're supposed to have like really nice furniture. Well, why? Because my mom and dad always had real, have really nice furniture. Yeah, but that's because you started remembering about their furniture and the when they had already been married for <laughs> yeah. 15 or 20 yeah. years, right? So you need to sit on metal folding chairs in your living room for a year or two and eat rice as a young married couple, right? But they get new married couple syndrome. They go, I should already have. They go, no, no, no. You need to work for it now. You'll have later. But work for it now. Consistency over time equals success. Right, and right. you know, people get fooled with that. And that's another reason people leave really quickly. Like right. certain industries, they go, it's not working out for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could work out for you if you stayed the course, you know? So yeah. yeah. So, it's a, it's a similar to cargo culting, right? Or or you looking at the trappings of, of success versus success. Yeah. You know, yes. what, what I, that's why like I don't listen to him as much anymore, but I think everybody should probably listen to Gary V for, you know, like, like the first like month of, of their business, just to get the, the, the boot put in their butt a little bit, just get kicked a little bit and tell you, you should be thinking about the process and grinding and doing and working and enjoying that. You should be thinking about that right now. But if your goal is success and every day you show up and you haven't hit that goal, you feel like a failure. Right? right. But if your goal is growing, if your goal is growth and every day you show up and you're winning, and then you listen to them for about a month and put them away because they'll try to tell you to work 90 hour work weeks. That's not healthy. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and there's a time and place for that too. Right. There's time like, and a place. There's also yeah. time and a place to go, not today, Gary. Today I'm going <laughs> to take the day off. <laughs> but, but you're right. You know, you, you have to kind of be at, at your level, right? Like you, you know, we impeccable used to have an office in the Bay Area and, and I splurged, but it wasn't until like year five or six that I finally splurged and had an office and decked it out. But in the beginnings, you know, I worked out of the business office of my apartment and I had a business office with free Wi-Fi. Like, I'm just going to work out of there and then had so like... So many people are willing to dream the dream of whatever success looks like for them, but they're not willing to do the work. Yeah. 
right? They're not willing to. They're 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 thinking I should be able to have it without the bean and rice years of of, of their life and whatever they're doing, you know, proverbially speaking. But they're not willing to do the work, and it's, yeah. they'll just never get there. They'll burn out. They'll give up, and they'll say that didn't work, and they'll probably blame somebody else. They'll blame yeah. something. Uh, some sort of other like pressure in their life or, or excuse, but yeah. 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 And uh, it's not just design too. I mean, I've seen that in startups as well, especially, you know, being in the Bay area, I think somebody had once commented like, you know, if I can't get product market fit in three months, I'm quitting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, maybe it could take longer than that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I've come from Chicago where, a lot of companies aren't aren't venture funded, and and one, for example, like Threadless, which is a t-shirt company. Kind of, I'm dating myself here, but you know, they they took a while before they achieved success. And you know, there's lots of companies where they're like you said, is not overnight success. I know many founders have grinded away. It's like, oh, you see a billion dollar unicorn. Well, this is like a 12 year old company, you know, <laughs> that you've never heard of. Which is a good reminder to you know, like it's as a person, right. As a creative, like back to like, you know, UI designer, freelancer, or whatever it is that you're doing is to set reasonable goals for yourself. I think it's always like an important thing to not have some sort of outlandish goal that you cannot, that you'll never be able to do in that, in that unreasonable amount of time. So I, when, when it comes to setting goals, those goals, in my opinion, should always be challenging, but not impossible, right? If it's not challenging at all, then you mow right over them. They're easy, right? It's, it's nothing. It's not going to help you. But if they're impossible, then you're just going to be discouraged. So setting reasonable goals and kind of back to something we were saying earlier, if I would have told myself you know, at that time, I'm going to be a published author. Like instead of starting a YouTube channel, I said, I'm going to be a published author in six months. Like that wouldn't have been realistic because I don't even like writing a blog post. Like it's like pulling teeth, right? But to say, I'm going to start making YouTube videos about design and development. It's something I do. It's something I'm already slightly gifted at. It's a, a medium in which I enjoy. I'm going to go ahead and do it. The challenging portion is you got to learn how to talk on camera. You got to learn how to edit video. You got to learn the YouTube game, right? It's challenging, not impossible. So, it, you know, I like a good challenge. Challenges keep people showing back up every day. Yeah. And, and how did you go about learning all these things? Uh, what's funny is it, what a meta game that is because I'm like trying to learn the YouTube game and yeah, I used YouTube, right? I'm a, I'm a big um, advocate of self-learning. So I, I'm a self-taught designer that actually ended up going back to school later for design and development. But what's funny is I started going to night, like uh, online school at night after I was getting home from like nine hours a day at the design agency that I was working at. So I was doing everything that I was already learning. I just figured, let's go back and get a degree, right? But there's nothing I learned there that I hadn't learned myself through my own growth and development of self-learning. So I'm a, I'm a person who's a firm believer in learning what you need when you need and not trying to learn everything because people say so, right? Like if you need to build a website, you need to learn a way to build a website. So what are you going to do? Right. I, I don't need you to learn PHP or, or like how to spin up a Rails like application right now. I need you to learn what an H what an HTML website looks like. Or maybe yeah. you skip that and just go webflow because that's the easiest thing for you right now. Fine. Yeah. I just need you to learn that. But those tend to be how how I learn. I learn out of necessity. And then if I find value in it while assessing later on, I'm gonna go back and continue to grow that that yeah. that skill. Whereas other things that I might have to learn, like those are going to fall to the floor. I'm like, I'm never going to go back to that again. I'm not going to spend my time because yeah. time is too precious of a, of a resource to spend yeah. on things I don't feel like are going to be going to be a benefit for me. Yeah. I, I'm a big uh, fan of mentors. And I think, you know, when, when people say self-learn, right, I, I would count your content as a sort of mentorship too, right? Like sure. you're not learning by yourself. You're, you're, you're having the experience of Jesse. Joe Walter has got over a decade of design experience teaching you. And like, there's so many resources now, you know, in terms of getting the help, like with video, if that's how you learn, there's sites like ADP list for mentorship. There's uh, you know, so many resources out there now that there's kind of no excuse when people right. say it's too hard to learn. I can't, nobody will teach me. I'm like, yeah, like there, there are mentors all over the place. Your proximity to that mentor might differ, right? Like I actually did have a, like a hands-on mentor that I met with early on, like while I was learning design and that was great. It was super helpful. But, you know, if you 
watch YouTube videos consistently. Like maybe I'm your mentor online. I've never met you in real life, but maybe you consider you need to be a mentor. A lot of people have written me and said that. I have a member's club where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get deeper access to me as a mentor, right? Like just there's so many learning opportunities that there's no excuse that when somebody says to me, there's no way for me unless situationally, circumstantially, you know, geolocationally, something's up, right? I get it, right? That's the case. But if you have every available asset, like that, or everything that's available to you, computer, Wi-Fi, a couple hours of your time a day, then you're just lazy. (laughs) Then you're just lazy, right? If you're you're like, I work my nine to five and I spend my five to nine playing video games and drinking, I go, you've chosen your value system. Your value system is instant gratification right now, not building and growing. That's fine. I'm not upset at you, but don't be upset at the world. Right. 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 Don't, don't blame the world. Don't blame the world for your lack of interest because there's lots of, lots of possibilities out there. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of of mentorship these days. I, I used to not uh, like self teaching, and uh, I, I learned myself as a, as a designer back in the day where there were no design resources other than going to Barnes and Noble and buying yeah. big, you know, those big thick books on Photoshop 4.0 that came with a CD. Had lots um, of those, yeah. <laughs> but nowadays, it's yeah. There's no excuse with with free content from Jesse and many others. Uh, and maybe you don't like my content. That's fine. I'm not for everybody, <laughs> but just a wide array of personalities and styles and approaches. Like if you're an audible learner, a visual learner, whatever it is, there are ways for you to do it. Like if right. you like, I need to get hands-on, you can do free Adobe daily creative challenges. If you say I need more, I need accountability. There are boot camps where you have to check in with mentors each week. Like the sky's the limit on the ways and approaches to learning and growing in this industry, it's really it's really just about whether or not you're going to commit. Yeah, we're, we're getting up on the hour here, so we'll close up. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, you can find me online, always jesseshowalter.com. From there, it's kind of a hub where you can head to my YouTube channel, find me on Instagram. I actually have like my own personal kind of learning space for shop set up at learn.jesseshowalter.com. That's where all these products digital products, templates, courses, and my members club is hosted. So you can sign up and become a member. Part of that is I have a free Discord server. It's just called the Hey Creative Discord server. Just anybody can join. That's where I like I like to get in there and engage with people. But it's also the place where I get to communicate with my members club a little bit more in a deep way. So I do like, that's really one of my favorite things is I do like these live member hangouts once a month where we do like role play, question, answer, talk to each other, like solve things. We do small breakout groups, all that kind of stuff. So that's really fun, but I'm just kind of, I'm all over online. So you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty easy to find. Well, Jesse, thank you so much uh, for taking the hour on a Friday afternoon to chat with us. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.